0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning, I want to talk to you about uh, something that's a, a pretty powerful and profound topic, and it has to do with our level of joy. How is your joy level doing these days? How's your level of joy? Um... You know, when we talk about joy, uh, it's pretty distinct. It's not the same as happiness. Most people would say, well, I just want to be happy, right? It's very common. I just want to be happy. We've said before that happiness is based on happenings. And if everything around you is happening well, then it seems easy to be happy. The problem is you and I cannot control everything happening around us. And we're not responsible for everything happening around us. So it's hard to stay happy happy all the time. Happiness is based on the things around you on the outside going well. Joy on the other hand, joy on the other hand is a God-given grace. It's a God's endowment. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's life flowing out of you from the inside, no matter what the circumstances might be. And that is profoundly different. See, joy is not based on your circumstance. Joy is not based on what's happening around you. Happiness is. So if you want to aim for one thing, aim for joy, not happiness, because happiness is a fleeting thing. We're always grasping at it and it's hard to happy for a minute and not for the next. Joy is an outflow. Joy is an outflow. And we're going to look at today a passage in Philippians. Uh, The topic is joy no matter what. Joy no matter what. And we're looking at this modeled by the Apostle Paul who is modeling joy no matter what in a profound way. In fact, He's been through so many things. And in fact, right now when he's writing this letter, he's incarcerated. He's, in a, he's, a, he's chained to a guard. And he's writing this letter with this overwhelming joy. Now, if you were in jail writing a letter chained to some big old Roman guard, uh, knowing that your hearing is gonna come soon and they might do a few things. They might beat you and release you. They might feed you to the lions. They might do a lot of things. They might just release you, but you don't know what's gonna happen next. And he's waiting a long time, and yet in this situation, chained to a guard, he is writing this letter to this church in Philippi, the Philippians, and he's got this overflowing joy, and he's reminding them about joy no matter what. So if there's someone we can learn from, it would be the Apostle Paul on joy. Now I want to ask you, have you ever been uh, at a time in in life, and this probably happens pretty regularly, where, where you're in a good place and you have joy? Everything seems to be going well and you're in a good mood and spiritually you're kind of filled up and things are going good then all of a sudden it feels like the rug was pulled out from under you. Have you had that happen before? And it feels like you've just been robbed of your joy, right? You just got robbed of your joy. And that's a good expression, robbed of your joy because I think that's what happens sometimes. I think we get robbed of our joy. I wish we can pick up the phone and call 911. I've been robbed. I've been robbed of my joy, my joy is gone. But we do get robbed, and I believe the Bible lays out a um, kind of an overview of the devil and the way he operates, that he tries to give us thoughts, attack us with fears and doubts and these other things, and the devil does, in fact, sometimes rob us of our joy. And the way he does that is he puts our focus immediately onto the problem, Instead of living our life with joy and things are going well, he has us focus completely, laser focus on the problem. So I think when the devil robs, of, of our, robs, of, robs us of our joy, he, he kind of gets our focus to be on what the issue is and then he begins to turn up the negativity begins to turn it up like a volume knob, just turns it up more and more. The negativity level gets to get ratcheted up higher and higher. And pretty soon, we find ourselves focused on a problem with the negativity cranked up. It would almost be like this, figuratively speaking, you're listening to your favorite song. You're listening to your favorite, and you're just having a great moment. Any of you guys have that? You hear some great music guys love music and a song puts you in a place, okay? Yeah, some people love music that way. You know, you're listening to something and you're just like, "Oh yeah," and you're listening to a favorite part of your favorite song, and then all of a sudden, somebody turns the radio to static and turns it up on 10. You were in this great zone, and all of a sudden, it's wrecked. That's what it feels like symbolically when we've been robbed of our joy, and we focus our attention on who did that? Who changed the radio? And we could be mad at the person or we could be mad at the radio, but whatever it is, our attention is all of a sudden turned to a problem and the negativity gets turned up. And I believe the devil has been doing that historically for years. He does it outside the church. He does it inside the church. He does it in our lives all the time. And today, if we're going to have joy no matter what, we're going to have to look at some key principles in Philippians where we can overcome some of these obstacles. And God lays out a perfect prescription on how you and I can overcome the things that will rob you of your joy, where there can be joy no matter what. And again, Paul models these really well. So uh, Philippians chapter four, if you have your Bible this morning, if not, um, we're going to put it up here on the screen. It's also Bibles in the seats. And we're going to look at this in sections. Again, here's the prescription to have joy no matter what. Uh, Philippians four, verse one starts this way. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who, whose names are in the book of life. Now, I want to just set this up a little bit. Years earlier, years earlier, Saul, who is a Pharisee, becomes Paul. And he is going against, he's a Jewish Pharisee, and he is going against Jesus and the people of Jesus. Uh, Saul did not know the Messiah came, and he thought it was a false doctrine, a false belief group, and he's going after these Uh, people who were following Jesus Messiah until he personally has a revelation that Jesus is in fact the Messiah and he can't believe he was persecuting someone he didn't know. And when he began to realize that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, it it changed his world. In fact, he was confused. How in the world could I have done what I've done based on what I thought I knew, but I was wrong? And so it seems like Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, uh, pulled over and camped out for a while and started looking at the Torah on the prophecies of the Messiah and going, how did I miss it? And then after realizing who Jesus was, he's he's like, oh, I missed it right here. And I missed it right here. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And he's going to be around. He's going to come in this season of time. It says in the book of Daniel. And he starts realizing all these things that when he comes, he's going to come to... Oops, I missed that one too. And he's realizing, wow, Jesus really was the Messiah. And then after that, he starts going out and sharing with the world what he missed out on that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's going from town to town all over the Roman Empire, and he's looking simply to make good investments. He is looking for people to invest in. You know, and Jesus did the same thing. Jesus, when he was up at Galilee, he's ready to start a revolution, a love revolution. And he looks around at the people. He's like, I'm looking for some good investments. I'm looking for some people to spend some time with, to pour my life into, to share the the ways of God, the truth, the kingdom, the love, the power, the grace of God. And he was looking for people, Jesus was, people that were open, people that had moldability, whose hearts weren't hardened, who could be shaped and molded and, and transformed into what God wanted them to be. And Jesus spent his three years of ministry that way. And then Paul is doing the same thing. He's going from town to town, looking for people to invest in. And when he did, he went to Philippi and he would usually start at a synagogue. Most towns had a synagogue and he would start right at the synagogue and he would start sharing about Jesus Messiah. And in this case, in Philippi, there was no synagogue in this particular town. So he went down to the river. You can read it in Acts 16. And he finds some women down there praying. And he starts sharing Messiah with these women who were praying. And what had happened, and these women believed in Messiah. They turned around, they got baptized immediately, it said. Um, they began to be followers. And this church started to grow in Philippi, and it started to blow up. It was an amazing church. God was doing great things. And it was an amazing investment on Paul's part to stop it and to invest into the, to this amazing group of people. And he says compared to all these other churches that he started along the way, and there was many, he goes, those Philippians, he's like, you guys, you're my crown. You're my crown. And the symbol here is almost like the crown jewel. If you had a, if you had a crown, there's like one main jewel, and there's other jewels in it, or a ring sometimes. He's like, you guys, you guys are the main crown. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul, out of all the people he invested in, He looked at this group of people that became such a beautiful investment that everything he did for pointing them to God and stirring them, they began to grow and they began to just get just powerful in the things of God and of love and and mercy, his grace. And he's looking at the Philippians and goes, you guys are like my crown. And I just wanna stop for a minute because this idea of someone you invested in becoming your crown, when you get to heaven, The Bible talks about crowns, uh, about getting rewards from God. And I I think there's going to be some symbolism in heaven of um, being rewarded for the things we've done here on earth. The Bible gives us this analogy. It lays it out for us that this is what's going to happen. Paul is saying, out of all the people, these Philippians were such a great investment. I love these guys. They love me back. God moved in their lives. And I only want to say this because I don't know if you've thought of life from the standpoint of investment, or from the standpoint of crowns, um, I I hope and I pray that as we go through life and we finish life, we can look back and go, you know what? That person was my crown. Out of the people I shared faith with, that's the one who really got it. That's the one who really was such a worthy investment. They really began to love God and, and live their life in such a way, looking back that you helped replicate Christ followers, that you helped do that. And I just want to share that this morning because Paul identified good investments. I would encourage you, if you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, that you too would consider good investments and take the time and God willing, we'll be able to look back at our life and say, wow, that was That's my crown. Or these people were so, or I hope and pray, we pray our kids will be our crown, you know? But if you notice, how many of you guys have kids? How many, you notice, kids have their own sin nature just like everybody else, right? So you can't give them things. They have to grow into things. You can set things up for them. You can steer them in the ways of God, and yet they have to come to terms of their own need for their own savior, just like we all do. But my prayer is that we will look back and essentially have as Paul referred to, spiritual children. Um, to Timothy, he calls him a son in the faith and he, he refers to people that he invested in and they were like children to him, spiritually speaking. And so I really want to highly encourage you because what I'm seeing about this Christian faith, and this has a lot to do with joy, that if you live a life focused on your joy, if the focus is your joy, you might not have a lot of it. But if you focus on the will of God in your life, and you seek him first, then you will find that the joy of the Lord will be an outflow of that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteous, and then all these other things will be given to you. And Paul's life is not a self-centered one. He's in jail with joy, writing about others he loves. There's something about his heart condition, his disposition, where he's got this outflow of joy going on, and it's not a self-centered worldview. It's an other-centered worldview. And so, Again, identify good investments. And my prayer is that you will have some crowns as well too, that you will look for people worthy of investment, people that are simply open to the ways of God and share what you do know. Encourage them to where you're at. That's kind of what it's about. Um, so Paul mentions uh, in this group here, he mentions his friends and his coworkers in Philippi, right? And in verse two, it's interesting. He focuses on two ladies, two ladies, Uh, who had a falling out, Euodia and Syntyche. Now this is interesting. He's writing a letter to the church and he's got to stop and he's got to call some people out by name, not in a bad way, but saying that these two ladies in the church were such powerful servants of God. These two women, Paul said, "I, I worked with them. I served with them. God's done great things in this church, in this amazing investment. And these women were right there part of it, but something happened along the way. Something happened along the way with these two women where there was a breach in their relationship. There was a breach in their friendship. There was a breach in the fellowship. Something happened and I don't know if you realize how often this happens, but in the workplace when you're working with people in a working environment, there's different personalities, different styles, different preferences, and there's some clashes sometimes the way people want to do things, the way people communicate with one another. There can be some sparks sometimes. Maybe in a marriage, when people are you know, trying to live out life in the fullest and, and it's styles and personality, there can be sparks, there can be clashes. I would say the same is true with ministry. When people are serving God, sometimes when you're in the boat, you're bumping elbows with somebody else and you're serving the Lord together. In anything we do in life, there can, there's going to be these little clashes and these and these problems, but... What offends us matters monumentally. How easily offended will we be? How quickly will we reconcile or will we refuse to reconcile? Because these women in this story right here, God was doing a great thing in this church, but these two women who loved God, who are now not getting along, it's having an overflow effect. How many of you guys have realized that when there's a problem with a relationship, it has an overflow effect? Have you realized that? In the workplace, two people that are mad at each other, it has an overflow effect. In a household, if a husband and wife are having a clash, it has an overflow effect. In the church, if two believers are having a clash, it has an overflow effect. And Paul knows this. And Paul's focusing on joy, the joy of the Lord. And he's like, ooh, we got a problem here, Houston. We got to talk about this. These two gals who were serving God, doing profound things, there's a clash, there's a breach in the relationship, and it's going to rock, it's going to have an overflow effect on others. And he stops to, to do this. He's like, I'm pleading with you, please. I'm pleading with you. Writing to the church, calling out these ladies. I'm pleading, be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, you might have different styles, but for the sake of God, his will, his glory, the calling... Can you please agree to agree on the main things and be of the same mind in Christ? He's saying, remember to keep your focus on Christ. And if you don't, it's really letting the enemy get in. Remember I said earlier, what the enemy does to rob us of our joy is takes our, takes our aim off of what God's doing and has us focus on a problem and begins to turn up the volume of that problem. And that's what's going on in this church of Philippi. There's a little bit of a clash There's a focus and he's turning it up. And so it's causing a deep division between two servants in the church, two mighty women of God. And that is one of the dilemmas that he's addressing here. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says this, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. Our problems are opportunities. When we have problems, God's watching saying, I'm waiting to see how you're gonna navigate this one and pass the test. God is not shocked with our problems. God is observing and helping and meeting us in these times of, of need, but what will we do? Will we cross our arms and take a step back or will we engage in love? Um, problems will always come, but we gotta be careful, guys. Be very careful on what, what offends you, what offends you. Because usually it's something somebody says that offends us. Or something they didn't say that offends us. Something they did or something they didn't do. And maybe we do the same. Something we said or failed to say. Something we did or failed to do. Intentional or not, it doesn't matter. It offends people. And, they get, and we gotta be careful because it's been said that you can determine the size of a person by the level of the things that offend them. You can tell the size of a person by the level of the things that offend them. If we're easily offended, then it's walking around like on eggshells around people. And, and, and if we're easily offended, then they're walking around and that's not a fruitful, joyous lifestyle. And, and right now, whatever happened, this clash, there's two offended people and it's not really going away easy. Um, offense is really our inability to turn the other cheek where we say, nope, I'm not turning the other cheek. I refuse to. Uh, That's what offense does. It kind of holds its ground. Uh, The Bible uses the term forbearance, which means to be able to put up with. Can we put up with other people? Can we tolerate? And some people have a very low level of of, of what they can tolerate. And this is what's going on, it seems, in this church. Um, I I would suggest this to you guys, and this is important too, because Paul is saying something. He's a spiritual giant. Paul is like this giant in the faith. The Philippian church is amazing. God's doing great things, and yet... There's a relational problem in the church and it has to do with not having the emotional capacity to work through a problem for the bigger picture of the glory of God. There's a way bigger picture, but because of the emotional nature of, of people not being able to work through a, a disruption, it has an overflow effect on the bigger spiritual picture. I would suggest to you this morning that our relational capacity has a big effect on our spiritual capacity. Our relational capacity has a big effect on our spiritual capacity. We can know the word of God and be a prayer warrior. We can understand the things of, of scripture that are deep. And yet, if we don't have the capacity to get along with others or work through problems, if we don't have that capacity, then we're not spiritually mature at all. We might have a lot of knowledge, but I would suggest to you that spiritual maturity understands the emotional and the relational dynamics and learns how to apply scripture to be victorious through them. Does that make sense? Because somebody could be a scholar and they could be writing commentaries, but if they can't personally, if they don't have the fortitude to be able to work through relational glitches, um, then that's, a, that's an enormous one. So if you're a note taker this morning, I would encourage you to write this one down. Our spiritual maturity is reflected in our emotional and relational maturity. Our spiritual maturity is reflected in our emotional and relational maturity. Again, uh, the Bible says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I know all mysteries, and have faith to move mountains, wow, that is a spiritual giant, isn't it? But I don't have love, I'm nothing. And so we can have this profound knowledge and understanding of these spiritual things, and it sounds like, wow, that's potentially... Mature in the faith, isn't it? No, because if I don't have love, if I can't deal with people, if I don't have forgiveness, if I don't have grace and mercy, if I can't work through issues, then really it's nothing. And this is important, guys, because if you wanna go where God's calling you to be and your level of joy it up, we have to learn how to not take offense and then let the enemy pull us to focus on the problem and turn up the thermostat because that's exactly how the enemy robs us of our joy. Puts our focus on the problem like a bullseye and begins to turn up the thermostat, turn up the volume. And now we're focused on that problem. And Paul's like, look, you can't roll that way. You can't operate that way. If you wanna walk in joy, don't let the enemy do that to you. So our spiritual maturity is reflected in our emotional and relational maturity. And then so um, he just tells them, guys, settle your disagreement, please. And he has to write him a letter because it's at a standoff. Sometimes people have this thing where it's just like, I'm done trying. And Paul's like, no, I'm not going to let you get away with I'm done trying. You got to go higher than that. It's not like, well, too bad. We'll go. It's like, no, no, I'm calling you higher. God calls you higher. Settle your disagreement. It's a kind of a command the way he's writing it. So the next section here gets into this tension that we have between our joy and our anxiety, the anxiety in our life. The things that weigh us down, that cause us to worry, that cause us to fear, that cause us to doubt, they're kind of like loads that kind of pull us down. Maybe you're having a season of joy and then all of a sudden your focus is on this this thing. It's a burden. It has a weight to it and it it starts to, uh, how's it going to happen and how are we going to get through and oh no, and the weight of anxiety, the weight of worry begins to pull us down and rob us of our joy and the next section deals with that. It says this in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing verse. It's one of the most quoted sections of scripture in the New Testament. And it's pretty powerful. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he's saying it all through the book of Philippians. He's saying rejoice. The word here in Greek is Cairo. It means to cheer and to praise, to cheer and to praise. Now, here's the thing about cheering and praising. Just like if you're at at a game, a sports game, you can cheer in response to something that happened on the field, or you can cheer just because your team is there, right? They come out on the field. They didn't do anything. They didn't get a touchdown. They didn't do anything. They cheer him coming out, don't they, sometimes? I would suggest praise is the same thing. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna rejoice in the Lord and turn up the praise, you can do it because God did something good. Like, wow, God just provided for me. Praise you, Lord. Or God just healed you. Praise you, Lord. You can do it in response, but this isn't saying it based on a feeling or a response. This is just saying on it because God is worthy of all of our praise. Do you realize that? He is simply worthy of all of our praise. And so this, this mindset is important because if you're willing to, not as a feeling, but as a choice, if you are willing to rejoice in the Lord, and it is a choice, it will completely alter your situation. This is important, guys. If there's one take home, get this. If you are willing to worship the Lord, if you're willing to praise him, no matter what your circumstances are, if you're willing to do it, just focusing on his goodness, no matter what you're going through, you're gonna see that he is gonna flip your circumstances and he's gonna flip your heart condition in the middle of the circumstances. I know this to be true. It's throughout scripture. He's telling us to do it here. In fact, many of you know the situation with Paul and Silas. They're in prison. Remember the story, Paul and Silas in prison? You know what town that was? Philippi. Philippians know all about it. He's writing a letter to the Philippians. And they remember when he was in jail. The Philippians remember when Paul and Silas, people really close, were in the local jail and it wasn't good. They grabbed them, they beat them, they stuck them in the inner cell of the inner cell and locked them in chains and shackles. This is years earlier. Now, if there's one time in your life to have anxiety, it's when you're locked up in the inner cell after getting beaten because you don't know what they're gonna do to you in the morning. If there's any time for worry, that would be the time. If there's any time for anxiety, that would be the time. If there's any time where you don't feel like praising God, that would be the time. But around midnight, Paul looks at Silas and says, hey Silas, are we gonna be warriors or are we gonna be warriors right now? Which one? And Silas is like, let's be warriors. Okay, on the count of three, we're gonna light it up. We're gonna light it up right now. We're going to light up the praise right now. Everybody's sleeping. Some people are shaking in their boots. We're just going to light it up. And around midnight, they started to praise God and sing praises to him while they're locked in shackles in a dark cell, not knowing what's going to happen in the morning. And God shook the place. And you've got to read the rest of the story in Acts 16 to go, what did God do? I'm just telling you, they didn't do what they felt like doing. They knew they did what they needed to do it's a choice it's an outflow I've done this in my own life when things were going sideways you don't feel like praising God but you praise him anyway because he's worthy and watch what he does he will flip your situation he will flip your heart condition he will lift your burden because really what's weighing you down is the burden the weight of what you're feeling and thinking and when you praise him God's got a way of shifting it I'm telling you guys this is golden so the second point this morning is to Make it your choice to rejoice. Make it your choice to rejoice. Rejoicing is a choice. Rejoicing in the Lord isn't a feeling. Sometimes we feel like it when it's a reaction to what God did, but rejoicing is a choice. If you find yourself at home and there's a weight on your, you feel a burden and you feel, you know what I'd recommend? Go to iTunes, download some some praise music that you like, that's your style, that's your genre, that does it for you, and turn it up. Turn it up and watch the whole atmosphere. And you're like, how did that happen? Because you were praising God, you were rejoicing as a choice, not as a reaction. And that's spiritual maturity. You're gonna see a shift. You wanna know how to have joy no matter what. Here's one of the key steps. Don't, don't skip this stuff. Paul is a veteran. Paul is a, you know, he, he's at the cutting edge of how to have joy no matter what. The guy's been shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead. And he's writing about joy, this unexpressible joy. And you're like, Paul, I want what you're having. And he's telling us, he's telling us how to have that joy. The passage goes on to say this, don't be anxious about anything. This is important. Because think about the things in life that weigh you down and make you anxious. The things that make you anxious, the things that make you overwhelmed. What are the things that get you stressed out? What are the things that worry you when they come up? These are the kind of things like, if you ever get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and then you think about something, and as soon as you think about it, it stays in focus, a worry, a doubt, a concern, a weight, some sort of thing that causes anxiety. This is what we're talking about. The Bible is saying this and it's saying it as a command. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't let that happen. Again, some of this is a choice. When we have heavy concerns and they're very important issues in life, but the choice is this, guys. The choice is that we can carry them or consecrate them. They're very real. They're concerns. They are worries. They are burdens. I'm not saying life doesn't have them. Life has got plenty of them. It's a choice of what we do with them. We can choose to try to carry something that we were never designed to carry or we can take them rather than carrying them and we could consecrate them, which simply, if you get the image of this, picture the altar of God right there and you take what's your burden and go, I'm just gonna drop it on your altar. Is that okay, God? And God's like, thank you. You got any more? I'll take them all. Give me every one you have. Seriously? Yes, the Bible says, cast your cares Upon the Lord. The things that weigh you, the things that burden, the things that cause anxiety, that you and I, our legs are not made to carry these weights. We weren't designed. We can't walk freely or run freely. We can't walk in joy carrying these weights. So we got to cast our cares upon the Lord. And it's saying, don't be anxious about anything. We can carry these or consecrate them. Uh, George Mueller said this the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Isn't that interesting? You're either believing and trusting God, you give it to him, or you take it back off the altar, not trusting God, and you carry it. Throw it in your backpack. It's all right, God, I got this. It's a choice. Or you take it off, put it on the altar. That's faith. Taking it off the altar, putting it in your backpack, that's no faith. Does that make sense? Faith and anxiety. Don't be anxious. And he says this in the passage. He says, remember the Lord is near. And here's something really important. The things that we get anxious about the things that tend to worry us, the things that tend to weigh us down, we often don't feel like the Lord is near sometimes. Sometimes we're carrying a weight or a burden and we don't feel, we don't feel like the Lord is near. And because we don't feel like the Lord is near, we tend to carry it on our own. But scripture tells us that that's not true. What is true is that the Lord is near. He's never far off. In fact, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, The Bible presents God as the ever-present God, Jehovah Shema in the Torah, the Lord your God where you're at, the Lord who is always present. When Moses asked his name, he said, I am, I am who am. It's like I was, am, and I will be always. It's not a matter of will I be around or not. He's the great I am. And uh, he's the Lord your God right where you're at. So the point is the Lord is present and he is near. And if you remember that he's near, it's easier to take these burdens and give them to God But if you think God is far off, then we do feel like we have to carry him. He's telling these guys, listen, guys, you gotta remember the Lord is near. And then he says this. He says, we need to guard our hearts and minds against certain things so that we can walk in joy. This anxiety, guys, is important. Anxiety will keep you from prayer and prayer will keep you from anxiety. Anxiety will keep you from praying and praying will keep keep the anxiety away. Um, it's been said that worriers, people who worry, they go to the phone, but warriors, they go to the throne. Worriers go to the phone and complain about what they're worrying about and all the problems, all the, na, 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 That's what worriers do. And warriors saying, I got to take this to you, God. No one else can carry this anyway either. And sharing it with everybody isn't going to help. I'm going to take it to you. And that's what a warrior does. And that's why it says in verse 6, talking about this anxiety, it says, in every situation, listen to this, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, this is important, guys. In every situation, anything that's weighing you down, anything that's burdening you, anything that's worrying you, anything that's causing anxiety, he says, no matter what it is, don't be anxious about that. Here is what you do. Here is the solution. With thanksgiving, bring your request to God. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is that God is asking us to thank him before we ask him. How many of you remember the Lord's prayer? prayer? Jesus, teach us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done. No, all this. And now, by the way, that we're halfway through the prayer, uh, can you give us this day our daily bread? Can you forgive us? Can you deliver us from the evil? Does that make sense? He starts asking for things after the adoration. It's a great model for prayer. I don't know if you include that in your model. You can pray and talk to God any way you want. God is a big God and he loves you and he understands our language. We don't have to be professional prayer people, but I would suggest to you there's something about thanking God first. I know when my kids come to me, if I do something for them, it's nice to say, hey dad, thanks for taking us to In-N-Out today or thanks for taking us to the movie before they ask for something. But if they just keep asking and asking and asking, it seems like they don't have appreciation. I think with God, we need to simply honor the fact that he's good and he graces us with things. It's kind of like this. In every situation, you start with thanksgiving. Your car is broke. Thank you, Lord, that I have a car. Thanks that I have one. Thanks that I have a car that I can put gas in. But Lord, would you help me get it fixed? The rent is late. Thank you, Lord, that I had a warm bed to sleep in last night. Thank you that I got a roof over my head. Lord, can you help me with the rent or the mortgage payment? You're sick. Thank you, Lord, that you've healed me before. And I've asked you before and you've done things. Thank you for that. Can you heal me again this time? Thanking God before you ask him. The third point this morning, it's important, guys, for your joy, is to count your blessings before you count your needs. Count your blessings before you count your needs. You want to stay in a place of joy? Count your blessings before you count your needs. Sometimes I... Talk to people that are weighed down with worries and burdens and anxiety and they feel like their world's caving in. And I've always said the, breath, the best cure for depression and worries sometimes is a good mission strip. It's a good mission strip. It does wonders for you. Why? Because as soon as you come back, the first thing you're doing is counting your blessings before you're counting your needs. And sometimes it takes a missions trip or something humbling experience in life before you count your blessings, before you count your needs. But it's a, it's a powerful place to be. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't be anxious. Count your blessings, thank them, and then go with the needs. That's really important. So the fourth point is just like it. It says, the uh, fourth point is this let's thank God before we petition God. Let's thank God before we petition God. Um, it says, if we do this, Paul is saying, this is a profound uh, solution right here. If we are willing to not be anxious and, and thank God and bring it all to prayer, everything goes to God. Everything, everything in the category of worry and weight and doubt and fear and anxiety and concern and burden, all these things go to prayer. Every one of them is in that category. Nothing's exempt. It's not like everything except this God. No, everything, let all things. Be anxious about nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, and they all go in this category. And it says, if we do this, listen, the peace of God, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The Greek word for guard is like a sentry. Got a soldier sitting out there, M16 in front of your front door, guarding your house all night. That's the visual. If you do this with all your stuff and give it to God in prayer, like it's saying, it said, the peace of God will guard you. You you worried about the enemy trying to come and rob you of your joy? Mm Mm-mm, the peace of God will guard you if you operate this way. It's pretty amazing. Now here's another amazing thing. The next passage, it's our last passage, it's going to tell us what you and I do with our minds. If we do this first part, the peace of God will guard us. The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. And this next section is what you and I do with our hearts and minds to keep the joy flowing and the peace remaining and keep anxiety away. Uh, This is what we do with our hearts and minds. It says this in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, sometimes we think about things and what happens when we think about them, we start to move from thinking about them to dwelling on them, to dwelling on them. And this is what the scriptures talk about. How we think about things and then we fix our mind on them. We get fixed on something. Maybe something bothers you. It could be a weight, a concern, a burden. It could be a lot of things in life. It could be a disappointment. Maybe somebody upset you. Uh, It could be a lot of different things in life. But instead of just thinking about it, we begin to fixate on it. We begin to focus on it. We begin to dwell on it. And these are some of the terms um, that some translations use uh, that we are to not fix our mind on these kind of things. We're not to dwell on these kind of things. And here's a formula for God's peace. And it's based on the thoughts that we practice, the thoughts that we practice. Because negative thoughts will never bring the peace of God in your life. Negative thoughts will never bring the joy of the Lord. And so we can have all this revelation on how to walk in joy. But if you and I choose with our mind to focus and dwell to almost camp out. It's almost like you're driving down the road, you pull your car over and you set up a tent and you camp on the side of the road. That sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what we do with our minds when certain problems come up is we can pull over mentally and emotionally and spiritually and camp out and dwell and fix ourselves in a position. And Paul's like, look, I'm giving you the recipe for joy no matter what. And if you want joy no matter what, you can't pull over and park and dwell and camp out on a, on a problem um, And this is what it says in different translations. It says, instead of that, here's the solution. Think about these things. Dwell on these things. Fix your mind on these things. Camp out this way. If you're going to do that, camp out this way. And and, and it says, is it, is it, whatever it is, fix your mind on things that are true, that are noble. You might want to underline these words in your Bible. Pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Because these words are profound solutions of God redirecting us back to his way, his love, and his nature so that our mind is not stuck and fixated and dwelling on something that's robbing us of our joy and we're letting it as long as we choose to stay there. God's like, no, don't dwell on that. In fact, the Bible says take every thought captive. You guys have heard this. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When, a mind, when an idea comes up, it's one thing that the idea comes up, but if we dwell on it, and we remain there. It's almost like a bad top 40 song in rotation. The song that you really don't like and it's on the radio every five minutes. That's exactly what it is. The devil going, how about this one? Na, 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 And it's nonstop. This it won't go away. Why? Because we're dwelling on it. We're fixating on it. And the Bible says to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. You're like, no, that's not from God. I'm not camping out there. I'm not gonna dwell in that kind of head space and heart space to focus on negativity. So ask yourself the question when this comes up, am I dwelling on good things or am I dwelling on bad things? Because the devil would love, as we said in the beginning, to take our eyes off the prize, focus on the problem, and turn up the thermostat. That's what he does all the time. He's got the same motive and he's been doing it the same way, the way he operates. He's been doing the same thing for thousands of years. Take your eyes off of this, focus on the problem, and turn up the heat. The two ladies that Paul was talking about in this letter That's what happened to them. They were doing such a great work for God. Took their eyes off the prize. They got a problem and they're stuck there with the heat turned up. Paul's like, guys, you gotta fix your mind and your heart on things that are true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy because your joy and your peace are dependent on it. They're dependent on it. You know, the Bible calls us this term a few times, Galatians and Romans. It calls us children of promise. You guys know that you're children of promise? Did you say that with me, children of promise? Children of promise. One more time. Children you're children of promise. And because you're children of promise, Abraham was the father of faith. And it, the Bible says, through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the inheritance that we have through Jesus, that we become children of promise. And as children of promise, we don't have to worry and have anxiety and all kinds of stress over things because you are, in fact, children of promise. God is your provider. He will supply your needs. He will meet us in these tough times. And because we're children of promise, um, we need to live as children of promise, not focused on the dilemma, the problem, the worry, the doubt, the fear. Um, So the last point this morning, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. The last point is this. As children of promise, practice God's peace by refusing, by refusing to focus on negativity. As children of promise, practice God's peace by refusing to focus on negativity. It is a choice. Something comes up, we can camp out there or say I'm not camping out there. When it comes up again and it's happened before and the enemy's gonna use it again today later on on you or next week or tomorrow or stuff comes up, it's a choice that you think about it and put it in a category or you camp out and you dwell and you focus and fixate on the problem. Ask yourself the question when it comes up. Maybe it's somebody who did something to you or you think they did and you're wondering what they're thinking or what were they thinking. and you, you, know, you can kind of play out, you can play out a conversation in your mind that never actually happened on the way it could go or the way it might go. Ask yourself these things, what you're thinking. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Love hopes all things. Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Then you know what? I can't camp out there. I only camp out, I want to camp out in this area because if I do dwell on these things, then the joy and the peace of God will reign. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. The enemy doesn't want us to. The enemy wants to hit us and have us focus on a problem or an offense or a dilemma or, or, or a doubt or a fear, and then he wants to turn up the heat, and as long as we're there, we're not, our eyes are not on the prize, and we're not life-giving children a promise. This is important, guys. Um, Last thing I want to close with, when I was in high school and the wrestling team, there's a tactic that comes up, and it said that wherever the head goes, the body goes, and that's true in wrestling. If somebody's head goes there, football players, they do the same thing. They'll run with the ball and stiff arm somebody because wherever the, hel- he- the helmet goes, wherever the head goes, the body goes. The same is true spiritually with you and I. Wherever our head goes, we go. And so don't let the enemy steer your head the wrong way. Don't let the enemy take your eyes off the prize and dwell on an offense, a problem. You can't camp out there. There's no life there. There's no future. There's no joy there. There's no peace there. And God wants you to have joy. In John 16, uh, yeah, John chapter 16, he said, may your joy be complete. He wants you to have complete joy. Did you know God wants you to have joy? God wants you to have joy. No matter what circumstance, he really does want there to be an outflow like a fountain. And it's a God-breathed thing. It's a fruit of the spirit. God wants you to have joy. You gotta know that because joy isn't something that Should I have it or should? No, God designed you. He wants you in Jesus to have joy, joy to be an outflow. But we have to dwell on things above. We have to learn how to check our minds, our thoughts, our motives. Some of these things, we have to put them on the side. We got to take some thoughts captive. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So next time these things come up in your life, maybe now is the time that we get rid of stinking thinking. Maybe now is the time that we get rid of stinking thinking. When things come up and I'm not supposed to think that way, maybe now is the time we go, you know what? No, I'm taking that thought captive. I'm making it obedient to God. I I can't camp out on that stuff anymore. It in the category of true and noble and pure and lovely. You know what, I'm not camping out there anymore and we can make a declaration today of getting rid of stinking thinking and beginning to take thoughts captive and do things God's way so that we can remain in a peace, a place of God's peace. I believe if we look at what Paul said right here and we begin to take this stuff to heart, guys, that we can experience joy no matter what. The joy isn't based on what's happening around us. The joy is based on the work of God on the inside flowing out. That to me is priceless. That's what you were designed for. That's God's will for your life. That his joy, that your joy might be complete. Not a little bit of joy, overflowing joy. Paul had it down. Let's learn from the master. I want to close in prayer this morning. But I also just want to ask you, I think one of the key aspects of this passage is what we do with thoughts. What we do with these thoughts, whether we hold them, whether we hold them tightly, whether we take them and cast them down, whether we dwell on these things or not, this has a big outcome of of our spiritual success, our emotion, emotional and relational success. Um, and, and Paul is telling this church, "You guys are amazing. You're my crown." But look, you got to work through things, and you got to put things in categories. Because if you don't work through things and put things in categories, you're going to be struggling with this joy thing forever. This peace thing, you'll be weighed with burdens and anxieties. But if you can trust God and put things in categories to keep it in prayer and give the burdens to God and the hurts and the worries to not dwell and fixate and camp out there, then there's a lot of peace and a lot of joy to be had. So I just wanna close in prayer and ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Uh, Mighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. I just wanna pray for the level of joy in our lives, God. I pray, God, that you would begin to ratchet up the joy in our lives—that there'd be a a joy, Lord, that's not based on happenings and everything happening perfectly around us. In fact, I pray that your life, uh, the life of joy that you give, uh, would be an overflow from our life, uh, regardless of our circumstances. Uh, and we will know that the only reason we could have joy right now is because God is doing a work in us. That our, our situation is not something that dictates the joy. Uh, that the life of God flowing out of us is, Lord God. And I just pray so much of this passage has to do with the choices of our mind and our heart. The choices of rejoicing in you always, or we don't feel like it. The choice of reconciling with somebody, or we don't feel like it. The choice of being able to not dwell on certain things or saying, I don't feel like it. And Lord, I just pray that we, we would be people of quick release, that when things come up, we would quickly release, quickly release. Lord, let us people who don't dwell on, who don't fixate on, who, who don't set our minds on things that are not uh, true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, God. We want to be those kind of people because you call us children of promise. So I pray as children of promise, God, we walk in the next level that you have for us and peace and joy are two key things that you have for your children, God. And it's not worry and doubt and anxiety and fear. So I pray today we'd come to terms with some of these things. Our hearts and our minds would deal with them differently and you give us a profound victory in this area. That today would be the day where we make a declaration over stinking thinking and say, not anymore. I'm putting on the mind of Christ. I'm setting my mind on things above, not below. God is transforming me. He's renewing my mind. I'm going to start thinking and living life God's way, not the old way, because God's got joy and peace for me, and the old way doesn't. So God, would you do that this morning in our lives, and I thank you for that, Lord. I also just want to pray, if anyone this morning senses it's time to step into a committed relationship with God, not just knowing about Him, but a commitment to follow Him, a commitment to uh, be committed to your relationship with God through the provision of Jesus Uh, I believe God is saying today is the day and now is the time. And with everybody's eyes closed and head bowed, I just wanna agree with you in prayer. If you're sensing God calling you into that commitment to faith today, I just wanna ask, would you raise your hand? I just wanna agree with you in prayer. No one's gonna embarrass you, amen. The Lord sees you, he's pleased with you. Anybody else this morning wants to make that commitment, amen. Anybody else this morning that wants, amen. The Lord's pleased with you. Anybody else this morning that says, now's the time to commit to my relationship with God. Today's the time. Well, I just want to agree with me in prayer and the privacy of your own heart and um, just, just say, Lord God, thank you for sending your son to pay a price I couldn't pay. I pray, Lord God, you take away my sins, put your spirit in me, show me how to follow you. I thank you, you've given, you put my name in that eternal book, which is an amazing gift. You put your spirit in me but I pray today you show me how to live with the mind of Christ, that today is the day I'm putting on the mind of Christ. Today is the day where I'm gonna start to filter things through what you say, not through the lies that I've learned my whole life, survival, ways of survival, the ways everybody else does it. I wanna do it your way, God. I wanna put stinking thinking to the side. I wanna take thoughts captive. I'm gonna make them obedient to you. I'm gonna dwell on things above, not below. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, for profound victory in this area, Lord. And I just pray that all of us, Lord God, would walk in a beautiful level of joy and peace that only comes from you. We thank you for these things. We ask them in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Uh, This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, Please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.